Okay, so we're reading um, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 27. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is, not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, um, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing to you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I'm writing to you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or a sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that no, none of them belonged to us. But if you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist. Denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever, whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that, and, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as, it, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Well, good evening. Welcome. My name is Jonathan Gregory. I'm one of the pastors here. A particularly warm welcome if you're new. It's lovely to have you here uh, if you're new or, or potentially... I get that over the way. Uh, obviously, just looking into uh, Christian things. Thank you for giving Christian things a hearing. Hopefully, you'll be able to um, hear something from God's Word tonight that uh, might uh, interest you and do about investigating a little bit further. Um, I'm going to pray and uh, ask that our Heavenly Father would speak to us as we uh, listen to His Word. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, your word. Thank you that ultimately you are a speaking God and that you want to speak to us tonight. Father, we pray that our hearts might be open, our ears might be open uh, to hear the wonderful things that you want to tell us. Father, would you shape our, our hearts and our lives so that they become more in conformity with your heart and your life. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As a Christian, it's quite common uh, to experience periods of doubt during your Christian life. It is quite common, and I want to underline that, it's quite common, doubts such as, am I a genuine Christian? Or, you know, will God really welcome me into heaven after I die? Are questions that many of us who are genuine Christians struggle with from time to time. And pastors aren't immune to doubts. It's worth saying this because it's very easy to look at Neil and Hugh and Craig and myself up here uh, speaking and assume that we just sail through the Christian life without any experiencing any of the turmoil of doubts. Now, I can only speak for myself, but there are times when I have struggled with doubt myself. My personality uh, of being a bit of a perfectionist, a bit of a worrier, uh, makes me more prone to doubt than, than maybe someone else. So, for example, I made the decision to follow uh, Jesus at the age of about 11. Uh, but over the next few years, I was plagued with doubts uh, on things such as, you know, when I became Christian, did I really mean it? Did I do it right? And I thought that this was such an important thing to follow Jesus because he offered eternal life. I thought to myself, okay, I've got to make sure, really make sure that I'm in. And so every time I went to another event where they said, you know, if you want to put your trust in Jesus for the first time, uh, I actually did that, prayed the prayer again and again, uh, just to make doubly sure and triply sure as a Christian. Now, although I've grown out of that particular doubt, others have replaced it. And it's not con- these aren't constant doubts, but they're doubts that pop up in my mind every sort of now and again. Yeah, so has God really forgiven all my sins, particularly that one that's particularly on my conscience this week? Has he forgiven that one? Will I keep going as a Christian to the end of my life? I've got another 30, 40, 50 years maybe. Will I keep going? Will I keep going to the end? I'm not sure. You know, do I really love Jesus? Do I, you know, after the week I've had, do I really love Jesus? Or is it just me saying all, all, all the right things? Is my heart really there? And when I die and rock up to heaven, will God turn me away in the end? And, you know, I don't have those doubts all at once, or all the time. But, yeah, sometimes, you know, during, uh, you know, during life, those doubts come into my mind. And someone has said that doubt is, to the Christian, what the common cold is to the person. It's ge- they're general because of our, our fallen nature and our, our sinful nature. And I guess the reason I go into detail about my experience is because I get the impression that as I speak to people in City Church uh, that uh, they think that having doubts is an abnormal experience, that Christians shouldn't have doubts, that doubts are just a bit, or, you know, they're, they're, they're more serious than just the spiritual equivalence of a common cold. And I think one of the things to... To, to share is that if that is what we think as Christians here at City, then that's a bit of a problem because if you are struggling with doubt and assurance and you think that it's a massive deal and you're on your own and no one else in this room of 100, 150 are, are struggling with doubts themselves, then you'll never confide 
in another Christian. Uh, and you'll go on struggling with doubt on your own. And that's not a good place to be as a Christian. And so I want to say it's okay not to be 100% okay. It's okay to be a Christian who struggles with doubt. It is the common cold uh, for, in the spiritual life. In fact, the Apostle John wrote this whole letter of 1 John uh, to people who are struggling with doubts and assurance. And so God knows uh, that we as, as Christians, as believers, as followers, will struggle with doubts. He actually made space in the Bible to write a whole letter on, on it to assure us uh, that those people who are genuine Christians are genuine Christians. That you know that you really know God, which is the, you know, the, sort of the, the tagline for the sermon series. Uh, you, you want to see that from the Bible. Uh, you don't need to turn to it, but you can if you want to. Uh, John chapter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. This is why he writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that is the purpose, is the reason he's writing. You may know that you have eternal life. That is John's reason for writing 1 John, that you may know. Not, I'm, I'm sort of 50-50, uh, I'm, I'm, I think I'm saved, I think I'm in that you may know you have eternal life. And if you look into Christianity, then today's passage can be really helpful for you. It can be a window on what it's like to be a Christian, because maybe you're looking into the lives of your Christian friends. Maybe you're here because a Christian friend has brought you, and you're thinking, well, they seem to sail along through life pretty happily. And you might get a wrong understanding of what the Christian life actually is like. And so... Hearing that Christians suffer from, uh, with doubts from time to time in the Christian life is really helpful, and that might be a helpful thing to you as, as you look into the, the Christian message. So how does John go about reassuring those doubting Christians that they have eternal life? Well, the first one is we can be sure we know God because we obey his commands, and those, that's 3 to 14. And so that's what John says in verse 3. Look down and see if I've got that one right. Verse 3, we know that we've come to know him, God the Father, if we keep his commands. Well, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Someone who's in a genuine relationship with God the Father will keep his commands, albeit not perfectly, but that will be the direction of their their life. And John doesn't want uh, his readers to misunderstand him, so he says the same thing in another way. He says the positive in verse 3, says the negative in verse 4. Whoever says... I know him. So whoever says, I'm a Christian, I have a relationship with God the Father, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. And so they may claim to be Christians. They may even claim to be pastors and vicars. But if they do not obey the commands of God the Father, then their, their claim to have a relationship with God the Father is a lie. They do not have a relationship with God the Father. And John says the most important thing in the Christian life isn't so much talking the talk, although that is important. The most important thing is walking the walk. In order to make things even crystal clearer, John makes a similar uh, similar thing again from a different angle, verse 5. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. 
And as we obey God's commands, we follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus, because uh, the end of verse 6 tells us that when Jesus was on earth, that is what he did. That is how he related uh, to his Heavenly Father. Everything that his Heavenly Father told him to do, Jesus obeyed. And all you have to do is read through one of the Gospels to see that playing out all the way through, to see that is true. But there's like loads of commands in the Bible, aren't there? That can be a daunting task. That's a huge thing. What, is, there, is, there a, is there a little bit more ways of uh, narrowing it down, John? Have you got something more in mind? Well, thankfully, John does have something particular in mind. Verse 10. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, in other words, lives in, in the light of God's presence and relationship. And there is nothing in them to make them stumble. And so Christians can be sure they're in relationship with God because they obey his command to love other Christians. That's where reassurance comes from. That's why John is saying, is trying to reassure his readers. He's saying, you can know that you are genuinely saved, that you're genuine in relationship with God the Father by how you relate to his spiritual family, his, his sons and daughters, i.e. your spiritual brothers and sisters. And hating other Christians isn't a genuine mark of a Christian. And that's what verse 9 says. Anyone who claims to be in the light, claims to be in a relationship with God, but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. In other words, they're not a Christian. They're not in relationship with a God who is light. In him there's no darkness at all. And as, as I preach, I know there will be genuine Christians here this evening who will persuade themselves they're not really Christians at all. Uh, on reading these verses. I've been in Bible study groups, I've been in sermons where one John has been studied and preached, and people who I, as I look at them, think that they are genuine Christians, they, they, they forget all the things that they've done, where they've loved other Christians, and they concentrate on their failures. And they won't remember all those times they've spectacularly and self-sacrificially loved other Christians. I see it, but they don't. Because it's easier for someone on the outside to see something in you than, than you see something in you, if that makes any sort of sense. Let me, let me try and uh, use an illustration to try and help us understand a little bit, or help us to read 1 John and some of these things uh, that he's saying. Let's move from the octagon to athletics, more specifically to track and field. And just imagine the Apostle John is the athletics coach to a high jumper you know, who's going through a period of doubt. You know, am, am I really a high jumper? Do I really belong here? Am I part of the team? Should I just give up and uh, choose another sport? And Coach John knows his athlete is having doubts. And so he comes alongside and puts his arm around their shoulder and says, you know, you can be sure you're a genuine high jumper. Just remember that athletics meeting two weeks ago when you cleared two meters and you achieved your personal best. That uh, shows that you're a high jumper. And so in order to reassure his student, Coach John points out the already existing evidence that they're a genuine high jumper. What he doesn't say is, okay, you've got doubts about being a high jumper. I'm going to raise the bar to two meters, ten centimeters, and you're going to jump over it. And if you jump over it, then you're a genuine high jumper. He's not doing that. And so with Christ, when Christians with sensitive consciences read 1 John, they think John the Apostle is raising the bar so high and demanding that they jump over it to gain assurance that they are genuine Christians. 
But that's not the most helpful way of reading 1 John. Instead, John is saying, look back to the times you've loved other Christians. Recognize those acts of love because they are the signs that reassure you that you are in a genuine relationship with God the Father. And I'm in a privileged position to see so many ways the City Church family loves each other. So I I sort of see and hear lots of things that perhaps you don't. So a family welcomes their firstborn child at a city and they don't have to cook for weeks as people prepare meals for them and drop them around. That is love for brothers and sisters in Christ, isn't it? It's the, the students who live a reasonable distance away from church, but you don't have to walk 30 or 40 minutes in the cold and the wet because people, uh, members of City Church family, give, give you lifts. Well, that is an aspect of love, isn't it? People turn up to the octagon at 9am on a Sunday morning and perhaps a little bit earlier to set up the building, test the PA, uh, practice the music so that others can come and hear about the Lord Jesus, but also to worship him in song. Uh, that is love, isn't it? To say, I'm not going to lie in till 10, 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. I'm going I'm to go and serve my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's an act of love. And I could just go on. I see so many examples of Christians loving other Christians here at City. And those acts of love for other Christians should bring great reassurance that we as a church, but those individuals particularly, have a genuine relationship with God the Father. So can I encourage, uh, if you're a Christian, can I encourage you to go on a scavenger hunt? And this scavenger hunt will involve you hunting in your life for examples of loving other Christians, no matter how small those examples may be. Uh, Recognize them. They are God's way of reassuring you that you are in a genuine relationship with God, with with himself. So if you're married, take time this week maybe to sit down with your spouse and to highlight to your spouse examples of when and where they have loved other Christians and encourage them to be reassured that they genuinely have a relationship with God the Father because of those examples of love. If you're not married, perhaps ask a Christian you live with uh, to do a scavenger hunt on, on yourself because it's easier for other people to see acts of love in your life than it is to recognize uh, them in yourself, particularly if you're a bit of a pessimistic Eeyore character and you think, oh, you know, I, I've never loved any Christian. I, you know, I, I fail all the time. Get other people who know you to do a scavenger hunt in your life. Uh, But there is something in this passage that the Apostle John takes for granted, but we, in our individualistic Western culture, need reminding of again and again and again. And it's this. In order for us to receive assurance of knowing God, we need to be intimately connected to the lives of other Christians at church so that we can love them. You cannot love someone by remote control. You cannot love someone via the internet connection. Uh, You've got to be physically proximate to them to actually love them, to pick them up and give them a lift, to to cook them a meal and deliver it. You've actually got to know them personally to understand the needs they have so that you can love them by serving those needs. So we cannot expect to receive assurance of our salvation if we decide to be a lone ranger Christian dipping in and out of church. Because 1 John was written to a church loving one another 
And so as we, uh, as we seek to be reassured that we really genuinely know uh, God the Father, uh, being part of a church is so key. Because that is where love for your brothers and sisters in Christ can be seen. So if you are struggling with doubts, whether you are a genuine Christian, can I ask, are you intimately connected with the lives of others here at City Church? Not with everyone, but does someone know your name? Uh, do you have uh, uh, relationships, maybe one, two, three people that go deeper than just surface level? Does, do people know what's going on in your life? Are you part of a small group that's going to miss you when you're not there? Do you seek to belong to City Church so that you can love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Not so much that they can love you, but that you can love them. Because far too often, many of us rock up at church as consumers asking, well, what's in it for me? It's a bit dark tonight. Jonathan's preaching. Don't fancy it. I'll stay at home and watch whatever it is. Is it Sandyford, Sanderson, Sander, whatever, the new uh, thing that's uh, on on TV on a Sunday night, uh, the Blue Planet equivalent? Um, Or do you seek to belong to city? uh, Do you think to yourself, okay, actually, this is my family, And whether I feel like it or not, my family needs my love to keep going as a Christian. Because I've said it before, and I'll say it again, church is not an event you attend. It's a family that you belong to. Church is not an event you attend. It is a family you belong to. And in a family, you know other people's names, and you know other people's struggles, and you are physically proximate to them. You're there physically. And that mindset makes all the difference in the world. I know it's a long time ago, but in the mid-1990s, I was at university in Liverpool, and um, my sister, who was uh, studying in Wrexham um, in North Wales, uh, had broken up with her boyfriend, and she was feeling a bit low. So I got on a train and spent the weekend with her in Wrexham, uh, where she was studying. And you know what? I really didn't want to go. Uh, you know, Liverpool was good fun. I was having fun there. And no offence, but Wrexham was a bit of a dive. You know, if friendly bombs were ever to rain down on the town of Slough, I'd radio the pilots and ask him to save some bombs for Wrexham as well. Uh, it is really, don't go there on your summer holidays. But I went because Christina, my sister, is my sister, and she needed me to be there. She needed a bit of tender, loving care. And that's the difference having a family mindset makes. I will love my family even when it costs me because they're they're my family. Because they're my family. And that is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to earth to love us, not not to be loved, but to love others and to show the full extent of that love by dying on a cross so that people who had rebelled against him could come into relationship with him and be his brothers and sisters in Christ. And just notice what the Apostle John calls other Christians in verse 9. Brothers and sisters. We're family. And so what mindset do you have when it comes to church? Is it an event mindset? You know, what do I get out of it? I don't feel like coming, so I won't go. Or is it a family mindset which says, I'm going because my brothers and sisters need me to be there. I love them. I love the Lord Jesus, and I want to be with them. And that is a basis on which we can uh, obey God's commands, and by obeying them, we can give ourselves assurance 
that we're genuinely Christians. So we can be sure we know God because we obey his commands. So second, we can sure we know God because we continue to believe the truth, verses 15 to 27. And so in chapter 2, verses 3 to 14, the Apostle John wrote to reassure his readers that they were genuine Christians. He knew their lives, saw their good deeds, saw their love, and said, look, I've seen it. You genuinely are Christians. And he now moves on to, to warn his readers against a danger that was particularly confronting them. Verse 18. Uh, dear, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Now, I don't know what you make of verse 18 when it talks about Antichrist and Antichrists. Perhaps you think of horror films and someone with red horns and 666 carved in their scalp. Um, but it's not so uh, horrific as that in one sense. That's not what John's got in mind when he talks about Antichrists. Uh, you know, supernatural you know, demons or whatever. That's not in his mind. He's referring to ordinary human beings. He calls these people Antichrist because they are anti-Jesus. They're in opposition to Jesus. That's why he calls them Antichrists. And the shock of these verses is where the Antichrists actually come from, verse 19. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Now, sounds like quite a convoluted sentence, but basically what what John is saying is that these antichrists used to belong to the church John was writing to. They used to be members and deacons and elders of that church, but they went out from us. In other words, they left that church and set up their own church. Now, in one sense, it's not wrong to leave a church and set up another church. Uh, however, these people, these antichrists who left, their, their leaving wasn't just physical. It was also spiritual or theological. Because what they, what they left behind was what, what, what John's readers believed about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they went to a different church that had drastically different views on who Jesus Christ was. And John the Apostle defines what makes someone an antichrist in verse 22. Who is the liar? Is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the antichrist denying the Father and the Son. So those who left the church were denying that Jesus was the Christ. Well, what what does that mean? Well, in other words, they were denying that Jesus was really God, God the Son, who had become a human being. That's what they were denying. They were denying that Jesus was really God, who'd become a a real human being. And here's my best guess of what they could have been saying. You know, Jesus isn't God. How could he be? God is a spiritual being, and he's spiritually pure. How could God, who's a spiritual being and spiritually pure, stoop so low to take on a human body with all its weaknesses and frailty and spiritual dirt? It's unthinkable. Jesus was a good man, uh, but nothing more. And I think that was roughly what they were saying. That, that involved a little bit of reading between the lines, but generally that seems to be what was, what was being said. And it might sound very spiritual, but John calls them antichrists. Those who are opposed to Jesus, those who are anti-Jesus. And they are opposed to Jesus because they deny that he is God. That he is God come in, the, in human flesh. And in denying Jesus' divinity, they're also denying God the Father. Have a look down at verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son 
has the Father also. And John is saying that how you react to Jesus the Son is how you react to God the Father. That is what John is saying. It's impossible to have a relationship with God the Father if you deny Jesus the Son is God come in a human body in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago that first Christmas. And you know, there are a number of groups today who would hold Jesus in very high regard, but they would deny that he was and is God. So one such example are the Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, I see them as I drive past the Selyuk Triangle, you know, with their, you know, stand that you're handing out the watchtower to anyone who pick it, pick it up. So they would say that Jesus is God's only begotten son, uh, but they wouldn't say that he's God. Instead, in their opinion, they would say that God the Father created Jesus first, that Jesus was a created being. And so John, if, John, we, if we could transport John into 21st century Birmingham, he would say, Jehovah's Witnesses, they are antichrists. They are against Jesus. They do not have a relationship with God the Father because they deny Jesus the Son. And so it doesn't matter how positive such groups are towards Jesus, whether they're Mormons or whoever, they can say he's a good man or a good moral teacher, they could say he's a prophet, but if they deny that he is God, come in a human body, then they have no relationship with God the Father. Instead, they are against Jesus, they're in opposition to Jesus. And so why does John uh, feel the need to warn his readers so starkly? Well, It's because the Antichrist church was trying to seek to persuade the church uh, that John was writing to to join them. They said, you know, come on, come and join us. We used to be part of you. You Some of us were really good friends with you. You Some of us uh, led you in that other church. Why don't you come and join us? We're not so different. In fact, we've got this special relationship with God that you'll really enjoy. Come across. Give up on, on John and come across to this, this other church. And so the Apostle John seeks to persuade them to stick with the old, original, uh, apostolic gospel message. And you can see that in verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Now, <laughs> that sounds quite cryptic. And I think it's quite cryptic, because what John was doing is that he was taking a slogan that the Antichrist church was saying and use it against them, because... Reading between the lines, the Antichrist church claimed that they had a special anointing or experience from God where God had told them some extra truth, some extra spiritual truth that everyone needed to know. And John says, you do not need to run after uh, this anointing that the Antichrist church claims to have because you already have that anointing. And what John is saying about the anointing is it's another way of referring to the Holy Spirit. And he's saying that God has given every Christian the Holy Spirit uh, by the Lord Jesus, by the Holy One. And because Jesus has given them the Holy Spirit, they know the truth. They know the gospel truth. And so John challenges them to continue to believe that gospel truth, not to be diverted away, not to be led astray to the Antichrist church. Verse 24. As for you, see that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you, If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. And so the Apostle John says, stick with the original gospel message. I told it to you, don't swap it, don't give it away. 
And the, 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 the Apostle John challenges the same for us today. He says, continue to believe the gospel truth that has been told you. And this was the gospel that John, the Apostle, shared with his readers, that Jesus is, is truly God, not a created being, that he came down at Bethlehem and, took, uh, and became a human being, lived 33 years, and because he was God and because he was a human being, he died for sins of human beings so that he could relate a human being back to God. And that is the gospel message that John uh, proclaimed. And if we continue to believe the gospel truth about the Lord Jesus, then we can be sure that we know God. We can, ha- we can be sure that we have a genuine relationship with God. But the moment we step away from that gospel truth, we put ourselves in dreadful danger. Because as John has said, those who deny the Son, deny the Father. You do not have a relationship with the Father if you start denying critical truths about the Son. And so we're called to live the Christian life until we die, until Jesus comes back again. And during that time, it's more than likely we'll encounter people who call themselves Christians but who will say they've had a fresh message from God, who will say that they have a special insight into the Bible, and will change and subvert the gospel message. Maybe something as central as about who Jesus is. And you know what? Their message will sound attractive, because who doesn't want to have a little bit of secret information that no one else has? That's really quite attractive, isn't it? To think, well, actually, God has spoken particularly to them. They've got the secrets. I need to go and find out about the secret from them. But it is not a saving gospel message, and we need to reject it. If a a Joe's Witness collars you on your way to shop at Sainsbury's, they do not have the truth. Feel free to engage with them if you feel strongly enough, but do not follow what they say. They will lead you to spiritual ruin. And if you look at verse 24, it says, uh, See to it that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. In other words, see to it that the gospel message that you've heard remains in you. And so you've got to be actively involved in making sure that the gospel message remains in you. And so what does that mean? Well, one way is that uh, the, the gospel message can remain in us is that day by day, on our own, we pray to our Heavenly Father, and then we open up the Bible and read a small part of the Bible and then pray in response. That is how... One way we can uh, allow the gospel message to remain in us, just to devotionally read the Bible for ourselves day by day. Christian jargon calls it quiet times, whatever you want to call it. Day by day, just opening the Bible for yourself and reading it. And if you're not doing that at the moment, well, well, tomorrow morning is a great time to start. Another another way in which you can allow uh, the gospel message to remain in you is to go to a church that where they actually preach the apostolic gospel. In other words, the gospel that the apostles uh, uh, told us. And that's why we go through the Bible um, uh, book by book, chapter by chapter, you know, uh, verse by verse, because we, uh, we are convinced that the Bible changes lives, as Susan said. And I guess another a final way to see that the message remains in you is, is to actually belong to a small group. So that you've got other people feeding into your hearts and lives that this truth, folding it in, discussing it, encouraging each other uh, to to be part, uh, to keep keep going with the gospel truth. 
And I guess, yeah, as someone who sort of heads up the, the home groups, there, there are some people who are in a small group in reality, and there's some, some who are only in a small group um, on a piece of paper. And if you are only in a small group on a piece of paper, in other words, you signed up for one, but you don't go, can I encourage you to start going? That is one way of allowing the gospel message to remain in you. And it can be so tempting to believe that if a charismatic teacher has a, a fresh message from God. But the Apostle John says, you know, don't believe it. And John says in verse 20 that every Christian has the anointing of the Holy Spirit. In other words, God the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And that is such a privilege. Why would you swap God the Holy Spirit living inside of you for a message that will not save you, which will uh, ultimately lead you away from salvation. That's why John says, verse 27, as for you, the anointing, the Holy Spirit you received from Jesus remains in you and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing, his Holy Spirit teaches you about all things. And as that Holy Spirit is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And so it's not that, you know, tomorrow I've got to go and you know, find a new job because I'm a Bible teacher and it says here, you know, you do not need anyone to teach you. What he's saying is you do not need anyone to teach you a new gospel message. You just need to hear the old one again and rejoice in it. And so it's those who continue to believe the truth who can be sure that they know God. And the moment you move away from the apostolic gospel message is the moment you start giving up your assurance. It's actually the moment you start moving towards spiritual suicide. Because believing anything else other than Jesus is God come in the flesh is spiritual suicide because you do not know the Father, because you do not acknowledge the Son. So there are times when God the Father may withdraw his assurance from us because we are moving away from that old Holy Spirit-inspired gospel message. And he removes that assurance because he wants to warn us that everything isn't right. And that won't be true of everyone who has doubts, but it might be true of you. And so my question to you is, are you moving away from the gospel message, the one that you heard, the one that you heard when you became a Christian, the one that is in these pages in, in, in the Bible? Are you moving away from that? And are you going after a different gospel message? And if so, your Heavenly Father says, stop, realize you're going the wrong way, turn around and repent and come back to the true gospel message that can truly save. If you are looking into Christianity, then the Bible is saying to you that if you want to become a Christian, then there are certain core truths that you need to believe and assent to if you are wanting to become a Christian. Uh, Truth number one, from this passage, that Jesus is God. And truth number two, that he literally became a human being. And so if you are looking into Christianity, you can't become a Christian and believe whatever you want because God the Father has revealed himself to you and revealed his message of salvation. And if you reject that, if you think, I'll just believe what I want and think I'm in relationship with God, well, actually, that's not, that's not the case. So can I encourage you to actually pick up maybe a gospel on the way out, uh, on the way out, out, of, the, out of the building, maybe a gospel of Mark, that's the shortest one. Uh, it's written for Gentiles, so non-Jews, that's probably most of us here, here this evening. And read it, and, and read about the Lord Jesus, and see what you make of it, and make of him.
So as I began this sermon asking, how can we really know that we really know God? How can we overcome doubts? How can we have genuine assurance? Well, the Apostle John speaks into that area, into that question, and says two things. We can be sure we know God because we obey his command to love others, other Christians. And we can be sure we know God because we continue to believe the gospel truth. And if you can say, yes, I love other Christians, and yes, I'm still believing the gospel truth, then the Lord Jesus wants to assure you tonight that you really do know God the Father. And isn't that a wonderful thing to know, to be assured that if you die tonight, he'd welcome you into heaven. Let's, pr- let's pray together uh, as, we, uh, as we close this part of the service. Heavenly Father, um, we pray that you would help us to uh, keep on trusting that old gospel message, even though other people might come along and say, um, I've got a new revelation or a new, uh, a new bit of information. Father, just thank you that you want us uh, to know that we are really and genuinely Christians. Father, pray for those who do have sense of consciences and who are genuine Christians here this evening. Father, would you help them be encouraged as other people point out how they, uh, how they love other Christians? And pray for, the, for people who, who perhaps once held on to that uh, original gospel message but have slightly started walking away, getting a little bit bored of it, a little bit uh, 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 yeah, bored of that message. Pray that you bring them back. Help them to repent and to turn around and trust in Jesus afresh tonight. And in his name we pray. Amen.